A reading from Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Messiah, the Je- now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus comes from the Hebrew Yehoshua, meaning God saves. It was a common name in the first century, and its variants include Joshua and Hosea, figures from the First Testament who have books named for them. In the book of Joshua, the people transition from landless wanderers into the landed people of Israel. And in Hosea, the prophet speaks out against the policies of King Jeroboam of Israel's northern kingdom, particularly Israel's alliance with the Assyrian Empire. Jews have traditionally viewed salvation as part of the covenant. Taking from scripture, Psalm 130, it is he who will redeem Israel from all its inequities. Or Second Chronicles, where in the second appearance of God to Solomon, God says, if my people who are called, my na- called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The continued divine presence is understood to be part of the ideal future. As in Ezekiel chapter 48, the circumstance of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time shall be, the Lord is there. Our passage from Matthew's writer focuses on Jesus's origins or Genesis and his purpose, not so much his birth. Jesus' mission is to save people from their sins. God commissions him to manifest God's saving presence. Writer and theologian Frederick Buechner wrote in his 1973 book, Wishful Thinking, that salvation is an experience first and a doctrine second. Doing the work you're best at doing and like to do best hearing great music, having great fun, seeing something very beautiful, weeping at somebody else's tragedy, all these experiences are related to the experience of salvation because in all of them, two things happen. One, you lose yourself. And two, you find that you are more fully yourself than usual. Beekner continues to elaborate saying that salvation is an experience of love. Paradoxically, loving another means you are no longer the center of your own universe and are therefore less you. At the same time, you are most yourself. Agreeing that love and salvation are intertwined and cannot be separated, Rachel Keefe, a poet and a pastor, writes in her poem, Salvation. Truth is, only God knows who is saved. Any energy we put into judging others or proving our own place in eternal life contradicts the promise that Christ's love is for all. 
A reading from John, the first chapter. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John confessed and did deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, Who then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The writer of John's Gospel uses Son of God as their most frequent Christological designation, portraying Jesus as God's unique Son, the one who does the divine will and serves as their agent. Christology, by the way, is the fancy theological word for the study of Christ, which happens in two main ways. First, considering the person of Christ. Who is he? And second, the work of Christ, how Christ saves. There's also within that study about the Christ, Jesus, as being fully human and fully divine all at the same time. Now our reading uses Messiah, the English for a Hebrew word meaning anointed one. Christ is the Greek equivalent. John the baptizer's witness to, or testimony, as in a trial, regarding Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, will lead others to faith. John's use of Son of God in verse 34 testifies to Jesus's unique relationship with God. The witness trial motif runs throughout our fourth gospel and reaches its climax with Jesus's own trial. Jesus makes his first appearance in the fourth gospel being called the Lamb of God, evoking Passover a time when the lamb is sacrificed, its blood painted on doorposts telling the Holy Spirit to pass over the Hebrews' homes, sparing their firstborn. Passover is a symbol of Israel's deliverance. Jesus, the Christ, will go on trial, be sacrificed, and his blood will be the people's deliverance. The use of sin in the singular emphasizes the world's collective alienation from God and one another rather than a catalog of human sins. The Lamb of God coming to take away the sin of the world is Jesus coming to return us to God, 
to right relationship with God and with one another. Keefe, our poet, again, has some thoughts on the Christological mystery. The extent to which we focus on this mystery determines the place of Christ within our theology. Higher or lower probably doesn't matter all that much. Although, for me, it comes down to the leap that faith requires, the jump into joyful unknowing. Our third reading, third gospel reading, comes from Luke, the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a woman engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The woman's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Lord is a title of status or authority, often politically related or as in feudal states, referring to the owning, referring to owning the land that underlings then kind of rent and work for the Lord. Um, back in Advent 2, when we read the opening of Luke's third chapter, the writer placed adult John the Baptizer in history according to the political leaders of the day in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, and then the ensuing list of male political leaders. But before that, Luke's writer dates the conception of Jesus according to pregnancy, when Elizabeth was in her sixth month, rather than the list of political leaders. Mary's introduction in the text is different from Zechariah and Elizabeth's. Luke tells us there's our priestly lineages, Zechariah descends from Abijah and Elizabeth from Aaron. And Zechariah receives the news about John, that he and Elizabeth will have a baby, while he is serving as a priest in the days of King Herod. Mary's introduction is without any of these honorifics. She has no favored social status. God's favor upon Mary instead reveals God's character to demonstrate compassion and bestow blessing upon whomever God says is worthy. Already, the Gospel's narrative begins to undercut concerns of status and honor within the world of Luke. But at the announcement of Jesus' is coming, Gabriel uses a lot of language to indicate the authorities that this baby born into obscurity will have. Son of the Most High. Jesus will have royal authority and rectitude or uprightness. 
There are Davidic references like throne of his ancestor David, it's a pretty obvious one, and also of his kingdom there will be no end. Son of God refers to both the first human and to divinities. Think back to Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Now, while the doctrine of the Trinity, in which Jesus is God and God is Jesus and also the Holy Spirit is them, was worked out later, in later centuries, long after Luke. But Luke's narrative gives witness to an early view that Jesus shares in God's identity. Frederick Buechner, again, speaking to the kingdom of God, or to Jesus' kingship, says, as a poet, Jesus is maybe at his best in describing the feeling you get when you glimpse the thing itself, the kingship of the king official at last in all the world is coronation. When the kingdom really comes, it's as if the thing you lost and thought you'd never find again is you. Amen. <laughs>